If one of your aspirations is to own a second home on Mars, then this episode is perfect for you. This conversation tells the story of a landscaping company that has grown into a major second home management and renovation company and has goals of spreading across the country and maybe someday into space. Welcome to Unusually Successful, where you will meet a series of people who have achieved extraordinary results in life and business. Join your host, Sean Dipple, as he looks to learn what made these people unusually successful. All right, we're here with Nate Hamblin, owner of Red Elm, located in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. Welcome to Unusually Successful. Thanks for the invite. So tell us all about Red Elm. Red Elm. Red Elm, I founded 10 and a half years ago in 2010, end of 2010, with not a lot of idea of where it would be today. I started it because I needed a job. Simple as that. So I went to college, graduated in 2007 and got married and worked for a year after college for my uncle's company who I'd worked for through college. He's a home home builder. So that's where I got a little bit of experience doing landscaping work and and experience with the home building industry. And he built homes mainly in the Cliffs area, which is a golf community and Traveler's Rest, North and South Carolina and Lake Kiwi. So I worked through him through, for him through college and then worked for him for a year after college because I didn't really have a idea of what I wanted to do. And I did know I did not want to stay in Greenville and so we moved to California after working for one year for him in Greenville. My wife and I moved to California, Southern California, where I worked for my friend who owned a landscaping company there. <laughs> and I helped manage his his landscaping company, Southern California, being very different um, than Greenville, obviously. So I learned a lot about irrigation. We worked in a desert environment. So every everything that was green and growing had to be irrigated because there'd be months of months of the year with no rain at all. So I loved California. I fell in love with California, a love that I have has not diminished. It's actually probably growing, which kind of comes back into part of my goal for some of Red Elm growth in the future. But when we um, we lived there around two years and we got pregnant with our first our first child, and I did not make very good money, not enough for my wife to stay at home with with our kids. So I started looking around for jobs in California and was struggling to find a job that would compensate for both both of our incomes. So my uncle, who's the one that I had worked for here in South Carolina, his former business that he sold um, in Ohio was environmental resources. So he worked with BP and he knew I was looking for a job. And so he called me one day, I was sitting in church on a Sunday and he called me and, and he never, almost never calls me. So I actually just left the service and answered it. And he said, I have a job offer for you. Can you come? today or tomorrow. It's in Mobile, Alabama. And this was right during the BP oil spill. Mm. And he had been his, one of his good friends was the head of global, global incident command. And his friend said, we need help. We need, we just need bodies to help manage the cleanup of vessels and the, the looking for oil. Cause at that time when the, when the, uh, the well was still leaking oil, BP would hire individual boat owners to go out and look for oil. So when every time, whenever they came back from looking for oil. They had to be cleaned in a specific way. So, and he, and he paid me $50. The offer was for $50 an hour. So at that time, I, I think I made 17 bucks an hour. And so I, I, I remember my wife made $11 an hour. I made 17. And so we were making a total of 28, 55, 60,000 a year living in California. Mm-hmm. So the offer at that time, age 25 of 50 bucks an hour was pretty major. I told my boss on Sunday that I needed to leave. I worked two days. The next two days, for him. So Monday, Tuesday, I flew out Tuesday and worked Wednesday. So it was pretty amazing. I never missed a single day of work. And my wife's mother flew out actually on the, she came, got to the airport right as I was leaving. She helped my wife pack up our stuff. And then she drove the car to, to Mobile, Alabama. But that was a, a two month stint. My job in Mobile only lasted for two months, but it was a pretty major, probably one of the, my favorite two months periods of my life where I got to um, I basically was a glorified chauffeur for my uncle who was working down there. I got to drive him around. We met with local city 
um, councils, which were open to the public when people were just angry at BP for messing up their world, basically. Yeah, really. Ship, um, fishing industry in Mississippi and the fishing fishing trade and so much of their lives were impacted. And so I got to see some a lot of angry people. And my uncle Steve was was the representative representative of BP at that time, even though he wasn't even a, a current employee of BP, but representing them just being a, an ear to the locals that were really, really angry. So I, I went there without any experience with oil, obviously, but I, I was a glorified chauffeur and basically a secretary. And I just took conscientious notes, followed through on things that needed to be done. And the way that it worked was there were three entities managing the oil, the oil spill. They, so they would hire people in that had other full-time jobs and they would come in for two week stints. And so they would come and go and I was just there. That's the only job I had. And so I, they kind of assumed I, I basically did have senior, not seniority, but I was the only person that had continuity through mm-hmm. that time period. And so they would come to me asking questions that I really had no idea way over my head, but I was the only one that had been there. So I'll do my best to answer those. And there was a lot of, I would say bad things going on in the sense of awarding contracts to their own companies and getting sign-offs from, mm. from, from BP people. We were all sitting in this huge global incident command room. So anyways, the, the reason that, that job ended so abruptly is because I was, I was thought to be the head person managing one of the oil, oil cleaning companies. And I was just answering a question and the Coast Guard person, well, they came and said, you don't want, you no longer have a job. And so I just, they didn't tell me why I left. And then I found out through my uncle's connection that they had thought I did not have a good answer for them on one of the cleaning agents. And so they said, he can't manage this if he doesn't even know that. And I was not managing that. I was just the helper almost, (laughs) but all that to say, it was a pretty amazing transition that got me and my wife halfway back to South Carolina. And then Mm -hmm. her family is from this area. So the day that I found out you don't have a job at BP. Because you had moved your wife yeah, from she, California oh yeah, so to Mobile. She, yeah, she, and actually our daughter was born, our first daughter was born in Mobile. Oh, okay. We were living in a hotel for a month. And then there was a lot of signs that we were going to be there for a while because I'd done good work just doing what was in front of me to do. And so one of the top guys had asked me to help him stay to decommission all the vessels because the oil well had stopped, gotten capped. And so I thought we were going to be there for a while. So we actually got in a condo, signed a lease, got some furniture, and then I got fired, quote unquote. So that that night or that afternoon, I came home and said, I don't have a job anymore, which in a way was not a huge surprise. I I knew it wasn't a permanent long-term thing, but I thought it was going to be another year of making that good pay, 50 bucks an hour, which for me was huge. So we actually just got in our car that night and just drove to Greenville just because we didn't know what to do, but we we acted. I think that's that's one of the things that I think is the key to to some of the, the growth that we've had is just seeing what's next and doing it. So came back, came to Greenville, told my uncle again, he's a kind of a reoccurring theme in the early days. My uncle really was a major help to me in the startup of the company. So talked with him, just, I came back and just went to work for him, an hourly worker again, just until I could figure out what was, what I was doing. And he and your said, uncle was a home builder. Yeah. Okay. So he's, he built homes in the upstate. So t- in talking to him, he just said, why don't you start a landscaping maintenance company? And I, I, I didn't. But even, even when I got fired from BP, I wasn't thinking I'm going to go start my own company. It was yeah. just, what do I do next? You're like, I need a job again. Yeah. It's, it's really, yeah. I just needed a job. And so working for him for a few weeks, I, I decided I'm just going to do it. So I went and in, in September, it was September of 2010. I went and got a bank account. The name Red Elm is for uh, the Cincinnati Reds. I'm from Ohio. Oh, so okay. I'm a huge, I, I don't know why I'm a, a Cincinnati Reds fan because they're so terrible typically, <laughs> but. I've always loved the Reds and then no Indians, no Indians. I I, I don't mind them. Yeah. When it comes to sports, I'm a lover, not a hater. I'm I'm a Buckeye fan and Michigan's my second favorite team. So, Oh, I am that, that exists. It does. Wow. See, I'm a Buckeye too. My dad went to Ohio state. Yeah. Very nice. The the, uh, Columbus area. So yeah, we don't like Michigan though. Although my wife is from Michigan. Mm. So my dad always gives her a hard time. Well, for the last decade, there's been nothing to fear from Michigan football, at least. Yeah, really. So, and, and then Elm, Elm Street is where I grew up, went to church and school and played a lot of sports there. So I, and I'd wanted a, a name that could grow into something else. Mm-hmm. And obviously an Elm is a tree and that kind of maybe makes people think about landscaping, but I really, I wanted something that 
was not called Nate's Landscaping, like my uncle wanted me to do. He mm-hmm. thought I should name it Nate's Landscaping because it would be people would like that. They'd like me and they'd like to do business with me. But I, from that point, that at that point, I really did have a thought of, I do not want that. I do not want to be a small company that has, that has a name that basically says what you are, right. what you do. I borrowed a little bit of money enough to buy a used truck and some basic equipment and then have enough money to live for six months. So that was my, my original plan was I need at least a little bit of a head start and then hopefully I can make it we lived with our parents or my wife's parents for, for the first six months with a, with our newborn, which is very, which was a blessing for them. Major help for us at that time to I allow did. us to not have as many expenses. So I just started telling people that I had a landscaping company and we, on the side of the trucks, I put landscaping maintenance and irrigation. Cause those are the two things I knew how to do. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't even know how to do almost anything landscaping wise, as far as landscape constructions. I didn't know how to lay patios water features. I really not done much of that. So I started with what I knew, what I knew I could do. I remember my first job was one of my in-laws friends needed basically weed whacking done. And so they said they could pay, they had a thousand dollars to spend and they said they'd pay me $10 an hour to do that. And I, I negotiated $15 an hour because I said, I, I have my own truck and tools. I need, I need more than $10 an hour. Yeah. But that was my first job. You're not but, the neighbor kid down the street. <laughs> that's yeah. But that's, that is how it started. And it was a thousand dollars I wouldn't have had. Yeah. And I didn't need it for that first six months because I had planned to, you know, to be set up financially for six months so that I could build up a buffer. Mm-hmm. And, and I was able to build up, build up the buffer. Another thing that I think about is in thinking of why did you start your company? And it it does almost feel like there was a, there was some awakening that happened when I started the business that made me start being interested in learning that I did not really have when I was in college. I really did not, I would say I did not like college. I did not do well in college. I think I got a 2.79 GPA. I struggled. What did you study? My degree was comprehensive business management. So I guess I lucked into just the general business. Yeah. I think that's a, a, I think a smart thing to do if you don't know what you're going to do is just pick a general degree because a, spe- a specialty potentially could be unusable, mm-hmm. which as I, as I say that about my degree, I feel like it's, this is terrible for um, some people, some, some of my family that loves education. I feel like I, college was a waste for me other than just to say that I had done, sure, had gone to college, but that was more my problem than, than college, because I think there's huge benefits to be had from that. And even to this day, when I talk to, to kids in college, in school, I, I say, I tell them my story, which is I did not really get anything from college, which probably spoke to me and my readiness or, or my, whatever led me bef- to up to that point of college was not something that made me get a lot out of it. But Learning is different for a lot of different people. So starting the business really started for some, for some reason it fanned a flame of learning and making myself better. So I, re- I started reading a lot and not reading, but listening to audible books and the business that, that I was doing lended itself to being able to listen to a lot of books. Cause I could put my, my air AirPods, well, no, not AirPods, but at that time it was still wired, mm-hmm. wired earpieces, but I listened to hours a day of books and I really started getting a passion for personal development and people development. Mm -hmm. So for the first year, I just worked myself and then had some high school kids or high school, yeah, high school kids on summer break that did, did some jobs work that worked for me. And I, and again, I was blessed that the first two, one, two or three years, my uncle Steve really was a huge help because he had his company and I was just a ready, ready and willing person to do any work for them they needed. And that was the volume of my business the first year, probably. And there was one job I remember that he gave me, his company awarded Red Elm a new install. And it was probably, I remember, I think he, he, he bought all the material, basically. He paid for sourcing and getting everything there. And I just had to take care of doing the work. And I think I charged him 40 grand of labor which means the job was probably a hundred grand, mm. but that was something I didn't really deserve, but it was a huge help to really allow me to build up some buffer also in the business. Yeah, right, right. And I, I hired um, a bunch, like I said, I think I had eight different high school kids that I would, we'd pile into, I had one truck and some of them, I would pay one of them to drive a car and put a bunch of people into it. So it was pretty, probably pretty rough from anyone looking at it at that point. But I think that project turned out pretty well. And 
it, it was it was huge for, for that year that was probably the first year the thing that got I don't want to say got me through but really was a crowning moment was that that huge job that I spent most of the summer doing and that came from your uncle yes yeah now that was in 2010 when you started the company so, yeah 2011 so I started in September of 2010 okay. and so then the summer of 2011 is when I had that that large project that was really helpful and I had no employees at the no W2 employees at that time. Right. And it sounds like when you came up with the name, you came up with the name right away, right? Mm -hmm. Sounds like you had a bigger vision. So how would you describe Red Elm today? Because you do some unique things that are just, that are aside from landscaping and irrigation. Yes. So Red Elm today is a second home management company. So back kind of, let me step back just a, a little bit. So for the first probably four or five, three or four years, we were landscaping we started building up some skill on the projects I, I alluded to earlier that I didn't even know how to do a patio. We started doing learning hardscapes and learning how to do the full range of landscaping. And then in 2014, I purchased a home maintenance company. So that allowed me to start thinking outside of just a landscaping company. We went, we started doing home inspections for customers that weren't full-time at their house. We had some active, an act, it was some active renovation projects going when I bought the company. And so there was almost the second phase of Red Elm was landscaping. And so the first phase was landscaping. The second phase was landscaping and renovations. And then probably two years ago, two to three years ago, I really started thinking, we started thinking about how to differentiate. And so so there's a book that I've read by Peter Thiel, Zero to One. And it talks about how in a business, create something that hasn't been done before. And almost everything that we do, almost any business has been done before how it's packaged and how it's put together is what can differentiate itself into something that people want. Mm-hmm. I've also, one thing that I also like is this about, I've heard about brand. It is what you do plus how people feel about it. So that's another thing back, back to even thinking about the name Red Elm is I haven't wanted it to be Nate's landscaping. I want it to be something that a brand could be built around a name. And so phase one, landscaping, phase two, landscaping renovations, phase three, it's a combination of all those things into a service product that can be the combination of all those things, but that is a huge value to a customer. So we are a one point of contact for a second home resident that wants to just have one person handle everything that they need. And so we have a program that we, it's our kind of our flagship program called the Scarlet program. And it is a full maintenance proposal for the full year for a customer that does not live at home. And a customer can can buy this product if they do live there. But typically a customer that wants our product is someone who does not live there that needs that help because many of the elements of that are things that if you're there, you would not need help with like letting the HVAC contractor in to to service your HVAC. You don't need someone to do that, but someone who is not there most of the year or much of the year, or when they come in for the weekend, do not want to deal with that is, is, is really benefited by someone like us who is around all the time to take care of that for them. So where we currently are is second home management company. But one, one way that we look at company growth also is we think about the North star and the North pole. So the North star is something we can see that's in the distance in the future, but we can't get there right now. Somewhere we can get right now is North pole. It's on this planet. And so we've tried to think about our company like this year, what is the North pole things that we're growing towards to allow us to get to the North star. And so some of the things like on our North star that are motivating to us where I would say that second home management is just one stop on our way. There's more steps coming down. So one thing on our North, our North star view is second planet management. So even thinking of, of Elon Musk and, and life on Mars, we we're not joking. We seriously want to be prepared when that happens, we're ready for it. And whether that happens or not, that's the type of thought process we're trying to have is how do we do something that's very, very normal, predictable, or people know what it is, home maintenance. That's very simple and maybe an annoying mundane. That's the whole point. We want to make that, take that off of people, make it easy for them. And then also in building the company, I I mentioned early when, when I started the company, I started realizing that personal development and people development was really what motivated me the most. So in growing a business, allowing other people the opportunity to run their own company. So we have structured our, our company. We are structuring it into branches to allow team members to be able to run companies. So a branch is not a company, but in essence, we've created small companies, part, parts of our companies to give different employees opportunities to run those companies. So right now we're up to five of those. 
you could say, why do you have five branches? You could just have one company. That's the point. We're scaling the branch to allow us to have managers, leaders have opportunities to run the branch and, and almost be entrepreneurial within our company. We currently service areas from Western North Carolina and, and South Carolina, those five branches, but we're looking to launch, to start moving outward into other states. So I'm currently working on that because our goal, speaking of our, our North Star, is to be 50 locations of $2 million of revenue. So that's our that's one of our checkpoints that we're looking at. So we currently have five, five of those, which will probably do around 10 million of revenue this year. What we're working towards first, what we can do next, because second plant management, we're nowhere close to that. Obviously, no one even lives there now. But thinking that way, we want to be thinking ahead of where are we going with creating a product that is one of a kind. Hmm. That's interesting. That's certainly uh, visionary. I think with our type of business, which is probably mundane, and oftentimes people look at what we do as some, it's a job I would just do to make it through, or I'm a college kid, I'll work landscaping until I can get a real job. Yeah. I, I feel like in a way I, I like that about our job. I like that about the industry because a lot of people don't, the, the top, it, it oftentimes feels like people look towards, I want a desk job or I want to work in IT or I want to work in technology, creating something new. But I don't think there are companies that are as many companies probably that are targeting, creating something new within this, this predictable, predictably terrible industry of people not showing up and not doing what they say they will do. Yeah. And I, I listened to one of my favorite podcasts I've listened to is invest like the best and which, which my brother introduced to me and one of the investors or one of the guests on there, his name was Brent Bishore and he, his company is permanent equity or permanent capital, but his company focuses on buying companies and holding them for a long term, not flipping them. And so I actually LinkedIn messaged him and he responded and I had a phone call with him. But one thing that he said, which I thought was interesting is he said, they've, they have never been able to find a home service company that could scale because typically home service companies have a good business. The owner is comfortable with a good business where he makes a good income. He'd rather be the president of the country club and just kind of chill out versus scaling something. Cause it's very right. hard. You're right. I would say it's not hard in the sense of the, the aspects of it are simple. It's hard to stick with it and keep th working through it because it's all about people. We can't scale something like building a app that then the world can buy and, and it, how many people buy it is what makes us revenue. We get revenue by growing people and branches and, and trucks generating revenue. So it's a very much of a slogging type of growth, but that's what I like about it. And I think that's what hopefully sets us apart because per that Brent Bishore, what he said on his podcast. And, and when I talked to him, it's, there's not companies doing that, that are getting the benefit of the scale, but also our goal is to have the small business feel. That's the $2 million aspect mm -hmm. of it is keep a small company feel, but then have the benefit behind that of an organization that has best practices, that has skills across the other branches that we can bring in if a small branch doesn't have the competency to do a custom job we do within the company. So we can share the small business, share the big business with the small business type of thing. So the idea is to have a managing partner in these branches Yep, and allow them to have some skin in the game. Mm -hmm. So entrepreneurial type people, those that, like you said, you're getting out and you're maybe getting a landscaping job and that's the job that helps you to get to the next level or, you know, yeah. get you to your next job. And you're trying uh -huh. to kind of turn that on its ear and say, Hey, this is a legit thing and yeah. you can be a managing partner. Yeah. So actually I think even one step short of that is these are probably people that aren't even entrepreneurial kind of like how when I started, I was, I don't know that I really thought of myself as an entrepreneur, Yeah. but once I started doing it, cause I needed a job, I thought I started thinking differently and I started loving developing myself and developing others. And right. so I think maybe it's not, not even finding someone who thinks they're entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, but finding good people that realize they are after they get that position mm -hmm. and then developing them and then letting them have a system that they can work in. That's already been semi-established that they can develop others themselves and others in. That's what's exciting. And another book that I really like is Grit. It's probably, I think maybe if I think about what books are the most formative for me in our type of work is, it is probably the one talks about building passion through perseverance. So I think a lot of times people, I've just from talking to people, 
they want to find their dream. I need to find my job, the perfect job for me. I need to find something that I love. And, and specifically thinking of our business where people often think of it as it's my job to get me to the next job. I think a lot of people continue that pattern of thinking through their whole life of what's my next job. I don't like what I'm doing. And the book Grit talks about the actual deciding to like where you're at and persevering through that. You'll actually build the passion to love that by choosing to be there and, and pour your heart into it. And so I think that we've seen a few of, of those cases in our business where maybe, like I said, someone just came, they have no idea about our company, they came and worked there. And then they realized, wow, this is something that I can really love. I didn't never, I never thought it would be this, this challenging. And I think challenging is probably a key way to describe it. It's not easy. And that, that hard work is a key part of the growing, growing the passion because there is something powerful to the hard work and the seeing the reward and the personal growth and actually, and also seeing the development of others that you are a part of. If I'm helping de develop others, that is ama amazingly motivating, I think for people. Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's the structure that we're trying to build. It takes a ton of work and it actually has to be a structure because it can happen on its own. And you know, there's a lot of people that want to help others, but when you, but when we can get a system that is putting motivated people to help others in that system that allows them to help people even more, I think that's where we can really scale. Yeah. And I think that uh, a lot of people, the way they feel about who they're working for makes a big difference in how they feel about what they do on a daily basis. Because I know in my, in my career, I mean, I, this is pretty much all I've done in my adult life, office technology, last 17 years of it has been in leadership, but I've mostly worked for small dealers. Um, this is the first time I've ever worked for a manufacturer. And I love what I do, but there's been some people that I didn't really care for that I did it for, you know, and it made all the difference in a world in the world. And I interview a lot of people all the time because we're, we're growing and we're bringing people on and, and you'll see folks that have a job and maybe they were there for 10 years, something happened, they got laid off or there was an acquisition or something like that. And then they'll have three other jobs that they lasted six to eight months in. And you always think, well, why? why? Why was this person successful for 10 years in one environment and then basically job hopped after that? And a lot of it is because of who they were doing it for. So this, it's kind of interesting, your business model of bringing folks in and they start getting that big picture where normally they're like, hey, I'm getting a landscaping job and I'm going to you know, do this until I get the job that I want. And then when they come into your organization, their eyes get open to, wow, this could really be something that... I can put yeah. my heart and soul into. Yes. Kind of cool. Yeah. And there's also been cases where in our company where someone they were working for, they did not get along with, and that has caused people to leave. Even the person they're working directly, their direct manager was not a good fit. And we have lost some people because of that dynamic. Yeah. And that's something that takes constant attention. And that I think that's another benefit of having branches is it's not that we just let them bail if it doesn't, they don't get along. But if there's clear two people that don't work well together, we're mm -hmm. able to say, why don't you move to this other branch? There's tons of opportunity and yeah. need for leaders versus, well, you don't fit in our company and there's no way you, you're going to have to work with them or else. And people may just leave because of that. Right. Because of the, ge the geographical separation with the branches, it allows them to stay in our company if they believe in what we're going for with our company, but are really struggling in their current job or with their current direct manager can allow them to be able to still have opportunity in the company. It's a good point. So it's an interesting story. I think you have a very unique business model. Super excited to learn about how this all began. But before we get into that, let's take a quick break. This episode is sponsored by Bobby's Barbecue in Fountain Inn. Bobby's was recently featured on national platforms like YouTube, Google, The Tamron Hall Show, Forbes Magazine, and ABC News because of their amazing Texas-style barbecue here in the upstate. They are most known for their mouth-watering brisket, but also have beef ribs, sausage that is made in-house weekly, smoked turkey breast, as well as pulled pork, pork ribs, and even jackfruit for their vegan and vegetarian friends. At Bobby's, the sides are homemade recipes and made from scratch, and even the tea is brewed on the stovetop like grandma used to do. The team at Bobby's really want you to feel like you're at home there, so go check them out. You won't be disappointed. So take us back to where this all began. I mean, like, where did you grow up? Where were you born? What does that look like? I was born in Lima, Ohio, which which is a small town city in northwest Ohio, Ohio, about 45 minutes 
east of Indiana. There's not much to uh, report about Lima. Almost almost no claims to fame <laughs> other than the manufacturing of the Abrams tank. There's a tank plant in Lima. I was raised uh, in, in the same home. My parents lived still in the same home that I grew up in. We had a very, I would say, boring, maybe is a bad word, but just a a non we'll nondescript typical, typical non yeah, yeah. Uh, upbringing where our our outlet was sports playing basketball my dad loves basketball and soccer and that's where the the elm from the elm street came from from elm street where we played sports all the time it was really the it was what we did for fun we didn't we did not have a tv or we had a, this little tv that was kept under the bed that would be pulled out every once in a while for our the fourth Thursday of the month was movie of the month month night. So just kind of interesting uh, quirks that my dad had in raising us. No TV, but no TV, but that, I think that was a, I'm sure that was a, that was a good thing. But I think what I picked up from my, from my upbringing is, was a discipline. My dad's child training uh, stance was very much of setting parameters for how Mm -hmm. we should spend our time. And I, I even think back to the sum, our summer vacations, we had to fill out a schedule on 30 minute increments. And it, w- it could be things like one of them was bird watching where we had to, we had a bird book and we had to document birds. It, there was plants, there was sitting, <laughs> sitting and quietly listening to some eight track tape of some sort, practicing the piano. But it, it wasn't really thinking back on it. I, I do remember thinking like, this is not that fun. This is not my summer, <laughs> summer break was not really characterized by fun, but I think that's good. That's fine. And I think it, it allowed me even now to not think is am I having fun in my job? I need to have fun. If I'm not having fun, something is wrong. Mm-hmm. So I think some of that formative discipline that I would probably have never picked in, even as I think about how I train my kids, I, I definitely have not passed, passed that on the same way. Probably some hints of that. But you guys I, have TVs? We do. You do? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> what did your dad do for a living? He is a pastor. Oh, okay. Uh, when and he was when you were he, a kid? He was a school principal at that time. My my grandfather started a church in the 60s, and that's the, the church on Elm Street. And he started that in the 60s. And then my dad, when, he, when my grandpa retired, he transitioned from the school um, principal to the pastor. Hmm. Did your mom work outside of the home? No, she did not. She cooked and helped my dad and helped with people in the church. We did a lot of having people over for church. Yeah. That's another thing with, to this day, holidays have not are not really a high point for me in the sense of I don't really look forward to them because mm-hmm. growing up, holidays were times when we had a lot of people that didn't have families or didn't have somewhere to go over to our house and it wasn't really that fun. Mm-hmm. But it was good. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't fun. And I think as I think about back to that, it's, now that I am where I am, it's kind of like, I'm glad if I had just had a fun upbringing, where would I, where would I be as far as the discipline Yeah, that somewhat naturally comes to me? Not that I, I still have to work on that clearly, but my dad really put a major impact on me in being able to work hard and not having to have fun. And then also choosing to, to be happy or have fun, even when it's not technically fun. I think, so I think a lot of that is a choice. And at that time I wasn't really thinking this way. It was more of, I didn't really have a choice. You have to do your schedule on time blocks. You have to look for birds and document plants and memorize, memorize dates of world history, things like that, that still come back to me today that I think are pretty powerful. Even the date doesn't matter. The date of world history doesn't really matter, but it's the, it's the actual process of learning and discipline and memorizing and reminding and reviewing that type of thing is, I think is very powerful. And you have siblings. I have five birth siblings. And then we had three other, um, three of our neighbors, my parents had legal guardianship of, they were the young, three youngest kids. And then one, one just recently was adopted. So I have a a sixth sibling, but, but five by, by birth. Wow. Your parents sound like very selfless people. I think so. Yeah. They are. It's kind of interesting. Like, where did your dad come up with this you need to go outside and, and document your time and observe the birds and the and the plants. And was that to keep you and your siblings out of trouble? Was that a strategy there? Because I'm sure it would. I've thought about that. As long some. as you stuck to your schedule. I know. <laughs> he, he might listen to this, so I have to think about how I answer this. He'll, he'll be fine, however I answer it, I'm yeah. sure. But 
he's never said said this. I have to think about about it now. Being a parent is like some of it might have been being able to to just make it through, like himself. Like yeah. I I need the kids doing something because I cannot deal with them just running wild, running rampant. I think I, that has to be part of it, even though we've never really discussed that point. But I real I think he has he has a a goal for himself and a goal of learning. He is consistently studying, reading. He gets up extremely early, like three or four AM. He just wakes up and, and reads all different types of things all the time. I think that's just who he is. Um, I think I don't, I don't know that that so much came from his upbringing. Cause I think almost like the pendulum swing of he could kind of do whatever he wanted growing up. Hmm. He went to public school, kind of had more of a free, free reign on what he wanted. And he, be, he became someone who in his training of his kids, I think didn't want them us to be raised like he was. Not that it was he was raised poorly, but he wanted us to be more managed up to. And I would say even all through high school, he continued having very narrow guidelines for us, which can be interesting stories to tell. But I think overall were, were beneficial. The, the one story that sticks with me was when I was in 11th grade, I was only allowed to watch the first half of the March Madness National Championship because he said I didn't need to watch the whole thing. And that was very <laughs> difficult for me. But for him, it was like, why would you need to watch a whole game? Yeah. You don't, you don't need that. That's not helpful for you. Wow. So that, but, <laughs> but, but the overall impact of that, I think on me was good. Yeah. Yeah. And that obviously there's many people that never get to watch a single basketball game and they survive. So mm-hmm. I didn't need that for survival. It was just That's something what he I taught won- you. Yeah. Watching a whole game was not necessary yeah. for survival, right? Yeah. <laughs> he wanted us to think, and I think that's another thing that whether I agreed with what he wanted us to think about is another story, but sure. he would say, why would you watch what, if you would watch a football game for four hours, what, what other things would you do for four hours? Have you ever prayed for four hours or have you ever done something else for four hours? He wanted us to think that way. And I think that's a helpful, it's helpful to at least have a thought to think about that. Not that it's the right thought. But yeah. it's, it's just making, making us think. I think that's something that I think is a thing I'll, I've, I'll take on to my kids and to our company too is why are you doing what you're doing? Like you should be thinking about it, whether I agree with you or not is maybe not necessarily even the point, but think about it. Think about why you're doing what you're doing. That's very important. And that's what I take from him. So where did you meet your wife? Met her in college. So I did not really have a choice of where I was going to go to college as well. My dad made basically said, you need to go to Bob Jones. So I came to Bob Jones. And that's how you ended up in South Carolina. That's, that's how he had gone to Bob Jones and my mom, my mom grew up at Bob Jones. Her dad, work there, I think her whole life too. So there was a lot of family. So your mom family. is from here then? Yeah, she's yeah. from here. So a lot of family family ties to to this area. So I met my wife here in, at Bob Jones, and then she grew up here. Her parents, both her parents worked at Bob Jones as well. So some of that is probably what led us to want to move to California, move somewhere. And I think even, even to this day, I have, I have not really wanted to live in South Carolina, Greenville. It just, when Back when we uh, moved from Mobile to South Carolina, it was because I needed a job. Sure, so yeah. I, that was the, what made sense at that time. And so for the last five years, I have been I have been planning to move from South Carolina and move with the company. So that's where we're coming right on the doorstep of that. And we're currently targeting where the, where's the next place to move. Mm. And my wife, thankfully, is on board with that. Yeah. Partially just because she spent so, so much of her life here in South Carolina. She's up for, she's up from for the here. change. Yeah. Yeah. She's up for the change. So the vision for the company is to become a regional company. So obviously the next move would be well, more to than, another closer. Well, You're then, not going to go back to California. I the assume. next, the next step is regional, but as yeah. we mentioned before with the other planet, there's some, we, or need, the other we planets, need to go whichever further. comes first, right? No, but the, the goal is to be national and then potentially global, but it has to be one step at a time. So personally, I would want to go to California next, but I, I have some business counselors that are wise that I have said, I will not do something if they don't approve yeah. or don't agree, sign off on it. And so I'm working through that, through that with them as far as what makes sense. And there's only so much of a stretch you can do with a company. Sure. So you can maybe stretch um, geographically, as long as you're doing the same type of business, but doing moving to a different place to do something very different, that might be too much of a challenge. But even in some, I've taken a couple of trips to other potential places and I've even seen how the difference of 
service will be, it will be very different. So it almost will feel like a different company mm -hmm. just on how we will have to service them, even right. though it's homes and landscapes, still the same title, homes and landscaping, but the way that it's done is so different. So it will almost be like starting a new company, but with the same guiding principles, hopefully. And, and that process of doing that will help us solidify our current guiding principles, I think, and hopefully change them where they're weak or where they need to be, need to be increased or, or emphasized in a different way. That's what's exciting to me about it. Because you really have a niche business. I mean, it's it's not a landscaping company, really. Right. It's a home concierge type of company to where th the majority of your clients, this is a second home for them. Correct. And they don't want to, they want to come and enjoy their home. They don't want to have to worry about all the other things that come with home ownership. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to stick with that niche, just yes. move to other markets. Yes. Yep. So, yeah. the, so we're targeting areas that, have high concentration of second home residents. So like we don't really work in Greenville because it's not a second home area, mm -hmm. sure. first, first home area. Yes, there might be people that have second homes there, but it's not a high concentration. Yeah. And so you're having to just weed through potential customers and not potential customers. And, and even getting distracted by a good customer, but that's not a full-time, that is a full-time resident. We've had that and we still even deal with that today of really good, really good sales that could, we could possibly close but they're not in our target market, but they're right. close enough that it's like, we could do this. But it, many times it's felt after we close the sale, it's like, we should not have done that because we should have really stuck directly to our target market, geographically concentrated so that we can serve them. And so one thing that's really helped us too is because we are geographically centered, concentrated on those areas, we have people almost always within 15 minutes of their house. So if anything comes up, they call us, we can be there. Mm. versus calling someone that might be in Greenville or somewhere farther away and they take them two hours to get there. And sometimes there's a benefit to even the 15 minutes versus two hour approach proximity that we have. So you'd mentioned the term guiding principles several times throughout this interview, but do you have a set written guiding principles that you instill into your team and, and that you help uh, those coming on board with your company to learn? Yes, in a few different categories we do, we have the Red Elm 10 Commandments that we have written. And those are, so, so when we have, when we hire people and we talk about, about Red Elm, we talk about the general competencies and specific competencies. So general competency, competencies would be more of who are you as a person? Specific competencies would be, are you a stonemason? Are you a trim carpenter? What is your actual skills? And we care a lot more about the general competency than the specific competency because the specific competencies can be taught. And oftentimes the general competencies, although they can be taught, are oftentimes signs of issues that are very challenging and maybe may even be a reason that you can't work at our company. But our 10 commandments, I can quickly just say them. Okay. They're extreme hard work, positive attitude, humility, self-motivated, thorough communication, pursuing perfection, stability, over-the-top customer service, punctual, and supervisor in training. The last one, which I really like, supervisor and training, is the concept of everyone is working to be to be moving up to the next spot. So it's a personal development aspect in our business. So you need to be working to be a supervisor. That our, our entry level position, we call them second man, because our most of our crews are two man crews. So we have a supervisor who who's the truck driver who drives the truck, and then every employee from the very beginning, when they come, we want them to be a supervisor and training, thinking what is what will keep me or what will help me become a supervisor in training. And that's just the, the sign for every position we need to be looking to make ourselves better. And that has to do with the personal development and team development. And so each of those things that I spoke through pretty quickly, we have written a, a small blurb about each one. And we try to spend time talking through those with the team. We have a once a month company meeting where we we're currently going through the 10 commandments and trying to make them memor memorable, make them repeatable, make it be something that they're actually thinking about throughout the day. We have a vision statement and I've, I heard someone once say about a vision statement because a lot of companies have those and they're just something on a wall that you just walk by and maybe never, never look at or every once in a while they are said, it is said, but I heard, I've heard it said that your vision is what you are on your best day. And I really like that because we can say what we are aspiring to be in a company, like we are aspiring to be humble. We were aspiring to be punctual. And someone could look at me when I'm late for meeting and say, you just weren't following your own 10 commandments. And I would say, that is what I aspire to be on my best day. You're, you are right. I did not do that, 
but that is, doesn't change the fact that we should be. Right. And it's, and it's, I think that's a powerful concept because people are, employees are constantly looking for consistent uh, human, I should say human nature probably it looks for people being leadership, being inconsistent. And we are all inconsistent in some ways, but having things like this principles that we aspire to allow me to just say, I'm just like you, I'm working to, to, I'm working to be humble, to be stable, to be developing myself. And when you see me not be that speak up and we have really worked to have a culture where we can talk about some of those things. You're open to that. Of course. Yeah. And, and it takes work because I, I still get feedback where employees, second men, as, as we call them, newer employees, maybe feel like there is a, a gap between them and some of the management. And so it's, it's not that we have it figured out, but it's something we consistently talk about. And we have a, we have a company communication app Slack, which a lot of people know about, but that, and I tell the employees, like, this is an opportunity that you can communicate with anyone in the company. There is no barrier of communication. If you have an issue, you should talk about it. And so I get different messages, which I, I ask for it. So I get them like, <laughs> Hey, where's my bonus from this job, which I like, don't even know what they're talking about, but mm-hmm. it, it allows me to have a conduit of, of talking with them about, or pushing them to someone else, directing them towards someone else that may have promised them a bonus or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the, something that I aspire to. We aspire to as a company that still, we have room to gr- improve on that, but I think it is a differentiator. Even the aspiration of it is a differentiator. And as we scale to $100 million, I want there still to be the availability of everyone in our company to talk to anyone in the company that they want to ask help from, ask for guidance, ask for any type of any, any help that, they, that they're looking for. And one other thing that we've done, which is also pretty exciting, is we've, we hired a chaplain, which he does, not, he does not even live local, but we've also given them an opportunity to get counseling or help from, for anything they might need outside of work if they would rather not talk to their, their boss or their peer about something very personal or even just general. And that's been really cool to see the feedback we've gotten from our team. And he just came last week um, to our, our chaplain who lives in Michigan and came and met a bunch of the guys. So that's been a really cool, cool thing for us where we are trying to give them opportunities to make their lives better, to give them support outside of work. One of our 10 commandments is stability, which is what you do outside of work should not affect your work. And that's a common thing in our industry where sure, yeah. maybe, maybe any maybe, industry. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. So it, as simple as playing video games till 3am or other things that people do that make them either not show up for work or show up late or show up not in their best state. <laughs> that, that is, that is one of our, our direct goals is to help them in their life, not just in our company. Yeah. That's really great. Not a lot of companies would provide a chaplain or, you know, third party counseling services to help. That's for sure. So what you're saying is that you don't hire people that do not want to be that leader. I mean, what, what if I just interview with you and you're like, Hey man, I just want to be uh, a stonemason, you know, you, you do everything else. I just want to, I just want to be, do what I do. That's a good question. So we hire people that are, that are stonemasons, but if, but we also talk to them about general competencies in the sense of, we tell them this is who Red Elm is. And if you do not live by these, you won't, no matter how good of a stonemason you are, you're not going to cut it here. In the initial hiring process, I don't think we we ever make it to the point where someone admits, "Hey, I'm not going to live sure. by your tank." No, yeah. almost no one. I would say no one has ever said that. But it it is the way that we do our yearly reviews. So every, each employee, after you have worked here a year, you get a yearly employee review, mm-hmm. and we evaluate you two ways: general, with it, which is the Ten Commandments. We actually give you a, ra- a rating on every one of the Ten Commandments, and then specific competencies, which would be tailored to what they are doing. Like if they're the stonemason or if they're a landscape gardener or something that their specific competencies rating would be based on what their job is. And most of the people that we have let go have been because of general competencies. And we, I don't, I can't remember anyone we've let go because of specific competency issues, because we think that's probably on us, not training them, not helping them or not moving them to a place where they can be better equipped. Yeah. But general competencies like honesty, those are things that we will work with them. But if they cannot be honest, they cannot stay. Yeah. And for sure, and the position they're in also affects how tight we have to be with that. If someone is a customer facing person consistently interacting with them and lying to them, that's different than maybe an employee that is working with our team that has a white lie issue. 
both are issues and both are eventual reasons they might not be able to work at our company. We want to work with them. We want to help them. But just with, with more position comes more responsibility. And so in, the, in that sense, we treat everyone the same, different. Like mm-hmm. uh, a coach once said, which I really like that. Like they have to live by the 10 commandments. We need to live by the 10 commandments, but we're also not a gotcha culture where we, we just say you messed up once you're done. We really try to help, aspire to help them grow in those specific comp- general competencies. Right. And so you mentioned the, the $100 million mark. And I think you said currently you're at $10 million. This year. This year. This we, year is $10 million. Yes. So you basically want to be 10 times the size of your company now. Correct. What's the biggest challenge to growing your company times 10? People. If each branch is $2 million of revenue, which is just a general framework. And I've, I've talked with a lot of, a, a number of entrepreneurs that are in our industry. And it seems like one and a half million revenue is kind of a sweet spot to 2 million yeah. where an owner can operate. He can do the sales for the company. He can kind of handle the work without having to bring on additional help. And so trying to somewhat model that, which is like the owner operator business that we want our employees to have the benefit of that, when you get to talk to the owner, they're one call away, but then also where I, which I talked about earlier, which is the larger company behind you to even help that owner operator feel support because a lot of what drives some of those companies to say, "I, I can't get to the next level and I'll just either maintain or just do something different, I think is that support. And so that $2 million target or structure is, and we, and we have one branch that's bigger than, we have two branches that are bigger than that. And one's right at that. And two are smaller than that, even with our five that we have now. So it's mm-hmm. not like a mandatory two million. It's not a hard number. Yeah, it's not a hard number, but it's, yeah. it's a structure for, for us to manage it. And so if you think of, we have 70 employees right now. And if we're only, if we're getting 50, if our goal is $52 million branches, well, we currently have 70 people. How many of those could be branch managers? Maybe half of them eventually. So we already we're already halfway there, in theory. With so the you're grooming people, them yes, to take over their yes. own branches. But it's it will be a, it's a combination of hiring and grooming. So yeah. we are consistently looking to hire people from outside, and we've so a combination of bringing them up through the company, which I think is the best way, because they understand the DNA of the company. They've been in those they've been in the tough situations, and they know how it's been handled before. Mm-hmm. That's probably our first choice. But I don't anticipate that that's going to be, that's going to cut it for every position. We have to keep hiring. And so one of the uh, companies that I guess we all know Waffle House, one of their standards is if they hire an executive, you have to have managed a Waffle House for two years before you can move into your executive position. So we've, we've tried to emulate that. So even if we hire someone from the outside, we really work to have them work in the business first for some period of time. We don't know that we've ever made it two years with anyone, but that's the goal is don't just bring in a high, high ranking person and just say, run the company. And you don't, you've never met any, you're meeting everyone your first day and you're their boss. We really try to have them work in some context in a training program. So we're current we're, we are currently developing. We do have a training program, but I think that is the key is a more developed training program for people that is clear for them, that shows their next steps that gives them a vision of what their trajectory is. Even if it's a two, three or four year trajectory to being that branch manager slash business owner, that's something to aspire to. We have financial targets for them where we are trying to, we're trying to build a company where, and this is a metric that I, I'm the one that says, and probably I get in trouble by saying it because it can seem like a promise that seems crazy, but how many people at Red Arm can make six figures running a branch, running a company? That's, that is what motivates me because when you can make that type of income, you can change your family. You can have money to give to others. And it shows Red Elm's structure is working. It shows yeah. that we're serving. And I know I've, I've name dropped a bunch of books, but it's because I love books so much. But one of my other favorite books is called Thou Shalt Prosper by a Jewish rabbi. It talks about how the pursuit of wealth is actually a thing of holiness. In the Jewish culture, they view it as holy. And so someone who is wealthy is not someone that is looked down upon. A Jew that is following Jewish principles would say, my wealth is a sign of me serving others. Because if I served you and you wanted to give me money for what I did, that's because it was worth, you you would rather have what I had than your money. Mm-hmm. And so I really think that principle is a, a healthy a healthy principle, guiding principle of, we want to serve others well. We want to charge them a fair amount for that, which should be which should allow us to profit, which should allow those delivering that service to, to, be, to gain benefit. Yeah. 
we're continually structuring, structuring it with thinking about our structure, which is what's the right ratio of customer count, employees per branch, mm-hmm. overhead allocation even, and what types of bonus incentives are there for the leaders of that branch? And again, there's we're still 10 of 100. So you could even say even on some of that development, we're probably only 10% of the way in, but we have that 10%, which maybe is the hardest. The starting yeah. part is maybe the hardest part of it. And we have good people on board that are developing that as we speak. Well, when you have people making $100,000 in your organization, they also don't leave you. You know, one of your Mm -hmm. guiding principles was stability. Mm -hmm. And when they can count on that level of income consistently because they're in control of their own destiny, you know, that they're they're not going to leave you. You know, generally, obviously you have the environment. It sounds like you you have the people's uh, interest or your people's interest at heart, certainly. But when you take care of them by like providing the, the counseling and those kinds of things, and then providing leadership and development, and they have these the career path and all that, I would say that uh, you're going to do very well. Obviously, you've already done very well in attracting talent to the organization, and then retaining that talent. And I've I've uh, another thing with with uh, action. Just take the next step. I think I probably I'm probably the best example of doing that the wrong way, which is why I. I just, with, with the guys, I say act. And there's a quote from a book I read, which was very simple, act or be acted upon. Mm-hmm. And if you do not act, others will take action. And moving forward is, is what is the key. Whether it's exactly clear or not, you need to keep moving forward. So in the growth of the business up until now, I've made many, I've made more mistakes than everyone else combined. So I, I even try to use that platform with our team, just saying, keep acting, do the right thing. Obviously don't be stupid and learn from what you're, what you, what the mistakes you made. But most of the things I've learned in the business have been the mistakes and I've made big time mistakes with, with big price tags on those mistakes. Yeah. So when you think about your exit strategy, do you have one? No. And maybe that's foolish, but I, another thing I think about the business is I, I I think I'm business agnostic in the sense of, I don't, I never really set out to be, like I said at the beginning, even I wasn't, didn't even set out to start a company I did because I needed a job. But even that I didn't, I wasn't like a diehard landscaping or home renovation. I think what, what motivates me is is the service aspect of the business. And although our business is a service business, 65 or 70% of our revenue is construct, is project construction, landscape Mm -hmm. or home. So most of the, 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 the revenue that brings good margin is not even in the service, but the service is the platform for the projects because the customers that have us taking care of everything also do the $50,000 upgrade. And we're obviously the ones that are going to do it because we're the ones that take care of everything. And so with that and thinking of an exit strategy, there might be an exit one day, but I think it will be the evolution of service where we keep doing more. Like I said, we're on our third, our third, uh, level of Red Elm from landscaping to landscape and renovation to second home maintenance. There's going to be four five and six. Maybe at one of those points, it becomes really clear that I'm not the best person to, to lead the organization. At that point, that might be if there was an exit, but it's not something that I'm, I've thought much about. Definitely with my, with, I'm, I'm trying to think about wisely financially managing the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that, there might be some better exit things like this may not be exit, but how do I give more equity to the employees mm-hmm. things like that, which right. don't necessarily mean I'm exiting, but also how do I give more to others, which then allow it to, it to be a place where if there is a better person to run it than me or something better that I need to do. And one of the other North star things I didn't even talk about was just some of the missions emphasis of worldwide helping people in need. There could be an opportunity that comes up that I just, I have to pursue and I need to make sure the company's in a place where I'm not jeopardizing it by leaving. Right. And I think it, honestly, it's almost already there because I've hired really good people that can continue growing and probably would grow it differently than I would, but we'll grow it with the right concept of service and growth and developing others. And you have those guiding principles too, that you've instilled in the people that you bring in. So you know that even if you did step aside or you went off to, to grow a different business, as long as they stick to those guiding principles, then they're going to stay on track with what you had originally planned. So that's great. So, and you still have yet to grow the company 10 times and start the uh, property management on Mars. So there's a lot of work mm-hmm. to be done. That's exactly right. And well, I'm excited about that. Yeah. 
Well, Nate, we really enjoyed our time today. Appreciate you coming and telling your story and talking to us about Red Elm. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you want to hear more conversations like this one, follow us on social media and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening. Unusually Successful is hosted by Sean Dipple and produced by Dan Johnson. Our show is sponsored by Sharp Business Systems of South Carolina. Voice acting by Becca Kaser and music by Finding Freedom.